hello and welcome to QBD Book Club, the podcast. Today, I'm just wondering how you could get a book that could pack so many ideas, themes and messages into one wonderful read. But that is what Stig Abel has done for us. He's so well known in the UK as a radio host and a journalist and a writer. Here in Australia, this is the first time we've seen a work of fiction from him. And I think you're going to love it. It's called Death Under a Little Sky. And we had a great chat. Let's have a listen. Stig joins me now from the UK. Hello and thank you so much. Well, listen, th uh, thank you for, for, for talking to me. One of the things I love about this is talking to people about crime books is just one of the great pleasures in life, isn't it? It's, it's so nice to speak to you. Absolutely. And Stig, it is crime, but not as we know it. And we're going to talk about all of that. But before we delve into Little Sky, I just love that name. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about you because for Australian readers, um, they might not know just how well known you are in the UK as a radio host and a, and a writer and a journalist and a lover of Bluey. So there's there's lots that you've done before you came to bring us this great book. <laughs> God, I love Bluey. I watch Bluey. In fact, there is a connection to this book and Bluey, actually, because I uh, was writing uh, this book uh, during the sort of lockdown period. And I was writing it every day, mainly because at seven o'clock at night in my house, my wife goes for a bath. And I was writing 1500 words a day for her to read in the bath while I sat with my youngest and watched Bluey. So we, so I used to sit here with my little one, Phoebe, at seven o'clock at night while my wife was in the other room in the bath reading the 1500 words I'd written each day. And if you're writing a crime book, you need to write every day. It's a momentum thing. And the reason I did it was in the end because my wife would get cranky if she didn't have anything to read in the bath. So while I could watch Blue for half an hour, she read what I'd written. <laughs> And it gave me momentum every single day to make sure I'd done my words so she had something to read in the bath. That is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we've been saying this for a while, but we knew that there would come a time when the books we were reading were the products of COVID. So they wouldn't necessarily include COVID in their stories, but they certainly would be the, the product of it. And I guess this is a perfect example of that, isn't it? It's a great point. And I really didn't want COVID in it because, you know, when, you were, when I was writing it, it was that first lockdown and I didn't have a very typical lockdown because I was launching a radio station uh, for the Times newspaper so I, I, I present a breakfast show on Times radio but we were launching it in lockdown so I wasn't sort of sitting in my house not going to work I was still going to work but a lot of the feelings of Covid were in the air and I thought yeah, you know when I was writing I thought well maybe Covid would be a massive thing in two years time or three years time if this ever got published but because I wasn't really writing for publication I was writing for my wife's bath I just thought, well, I, I don't want a plot which rests on COVID, but COVID kind of seeps in because it's a book really where a lot of the themes are about getting away from it all. How do you escape your life? The pressures of being pr close to people, the feeling of both isolation you might feel, but also escape. How do you get away from your life when your life is pushing right against you? I think all of us, I know, I know what, what happened in Australia, all of us felt that at, at various points when it felt like, we couldn't get away. What we did we value? What would be left? What are the parts of our life that we'd like to continue once life could continue? All of those themes were very much in the air. They were in the ether as I was as I was writing. So this is a book that that COVID inspired, but it's not a book about COVID. No, it it. absolutely and, and not. It's... Want, I, I never want to write about COVID. I think. No, no, absolutely. And but it's just that that sense of the isolation, as you talked about, you are a great you mentioned it off the top, you're a great lover of detective novels. And um, I loved it because you gave us this great map. And you know, when I first opened it, I didn't know what to expect. And I just saw it. And I'm a I'm a Michael Connolly devotee. And I'm like, yeah, Oh, Bosch. Isn't that funny? Harry Bosch. And then I went, 
And then I clicked, my, oh, my goodness, he really loves crime books. He really loves detectives because you've got Poirot Point and you've got, you know, Sherlock Beach, which becomes a very important part of our story. And it's such a, a wonderful nod to all of the books that you've obviously spent your life reading. Yeah, and, and the reason I wanted to write this book again was was really out of the joy of, I wanted to be a little, you know, a tiny little part of that great web of of crime fiction that exists. And, and you know who love crime books. It's it's such a great genre and people who love it really love it. People who love it really care about it. And and so, the, the, you know, the idea is the story is this, this guy, Jake Jackson, is a detective and he leaves the city where he has a, an unhappy life. And he has an unhappy marriage and he gets given this house called Little Sky, which has a detective library in it because his uncle who gives him the house used to give him detective books when he was growing up. It made him want to be a policeman. And when he goes to live in Little Sky, he gets this beautiful uh, detective thriller library full of books. And then when he names the areas around him, these fields that he gets given, you know, the, the Little Sky is in this amazing uh, expanse of land that's all his. He does name them after each of those detectives that inspired him. So there is a, exactly there's, there's there's Agatha Christie, there's Jack Reacher, there's Bosch, there's there's all sorts uh, going on. There. And that map, I love a book with a map. I just think books with maps are brilliant. Um, I, I don't want to make this whole podcast about my wife, but she drew that. And so I got her after, so I, she she actually drew the map uh, and then Harper Collins very kindly thought it was a good idea to publish it. But that map was was done after the book was written, drawing the the this this world that, uh, that, I, that I, I described in the book. Well, seeing as I know you don't want to make it all about your wife, but it kind of is because this is a detective novel that has so much else to it. You know, it is a journey of self-discovery. There's sustainability. There's a, there's some romance, which we, obviously there's dead bodies and mystery, but there's romance as well. A lot of things we don't often see in a detective novel. Yeah, and the romance part's really interesting because when, the you know, the history of detective fiction, you know, it comes with Sherlock Holmes and then you get the, the golden age of detective fiction, which is in the 20s, which is the Agatha Christie period. And people used to write rules about it. You know, the thing, you know, re- they took it really seriously. It was very puzzle oriented. And one of the things they said was there should never be a love story in detective fiction. And I really disagree with that because to me, the great detective fiction is both... Um, a cleverly plotted thing, but it's also a mood. It's a tone. It's a feel. You know, one thing that's great thing about Sherlock Holmes is the feel of it all. And actually, the love story in Sherlock Holmes is between him and Watson. You know, that great friendship that's so important to, to, to those books. And I think the books that I've read, you know, and, and like you, I'm sure I've read thousands of them. The ones that really connect to me are the ones where you care about something other than the puzzle. And the mystery and the bones and the bodies are all important, but you've got to care about something. And to me. That's often a human relationship within these books. And I wanted there to be a, a bit of romance. So Jake goes off to this little sky, the middle of nowhere, and he meets a, a local vet uh, called Livia. And then they have this this um, this uh, romantic attachment as he's trying to work out whether he wants any romance again, because the reason he's gone there is his marriage has failed, not because his wife and he hated each other, but because they they couldn't have children. They kept having miscarriages. They couldn't quite click. They very nearly click. And then they suddenly realise that they're never going to click. And so it raises the question, does he really need it? Does he really want it? And then he, he meets this woman. And, and you mentioned Sherlock Beach. I think almost the fav- my favourite thing in the whole book is yes. she lives a, a distance away. He lives in his land. But there's a tree between their two places where they live. Sherlock Beach, he calls it. And when they want to speak to each other, they hang a bit of cloth on the tree. 
and then they know that the other one wants to see each other, which I do think is a very romantic way of, oh, uh, of, of communicating. It absolutely is. And I guess that links into another part of the novel and about that kind of sense of isolation is there is no technology. He's gone to this home that he's been given by his uncle who's passed. By the way, can I backtrack and say to you, what a powerful letter when his uncle left him that letter about why he'd done what he'd done. It, yeah. I kind of reread it a couple of times because it's a really powerful thing when you can have someone who's reflected on you and your life. Yeah, and this idea I thought that I, I was really thinking about, because this is the COVID thing you, you absolutely rightly mentioned, is he wants him to narrow his horizons. It's, it's called Little Sky, and it's a book about big expanses, but ultimately it's called Little Sky, this place is, because at some point in your life, you might actually need to narrow your horizons. You might need to try and focus on yourself, focus on what life should really mean. And this letter that he gets given uh, by his uncle is to say to him, your life isn't happy. I know your life's not happy. And maybe it's time to focus on something to to narrow uh, your your expanse, and uh, and 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 that's what he does. And, and I think that is absolutely at, at the heart of the book. But the technology ones are really over. You're so right about that. And I think about technology all the time. You know, I, I present a breakfast radio program where a lot of the news. You'll know this as a journalist. So much of the news is based on how technology is changing our world. We're sort of having this crazy experiment we're conducting in real time, which is effectively this. I think it boils down to this: is that you and I, when we were growing up, we could always close the door. Yeah. We could close the door on the world. As soon as we got home, you shut the door and you were at home. And our kids or, or the next generation cannot close their door because the world follows them in. And what that will do to them and what it does to us is an experiment we don't know the answer to. So what I wanted to do with this book would say the fantasy, probably slightly COVID inspired as well, is what could happen if you could get away and close the door and the world wouldn't insinuate itself uh, into you so the, the the jake gets to live in this place little sky where there's no phone line there's no internet there's nothing there's no way of communicating there's no washing machine <laughs> there's no washing machine uh, he he's really is going back to basics and he can't communicate with anyone other than by going to see them by looking to them face to face which is another thing we've 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 lost a bit in the world and it's also as a as a crime book i think mobile phones add such complexity to crime novels now yes, because absolutely. You know, often the answer is why don't you just see where their mobile phone was <laughs> and then you've you've solved the crime Let's ping the tower and see what's yeah, exactly. happened whereas this is and it added an element of danger as well because when he was on his own or things went awry he, he couldn't just call someone or get help there was he had to travel to get help well that's why i kind of hope this resonates with australians because you know i absolutely love australia it's such a magnificent country but there are parts of australia i'm sure where you can't get help very easily. And, and England's like that to an extent. I mean, England is a small country, uh, but there are parts of it still where the internet doesn't work, where you are on your own. And, and this concept of, one of the things that comes out in the book is a bit of, um, is um, one of the the crimes really is sexual assault. It's the problem that, that, that women face. And where I am in London, you always tend to think of crimes against women as a very urban thing. And actually, the countryside is a really dangerous place because there's no lights, there's no people, there's no one to, to come if you scream. Um, and therefore, I think that is something you can still find places in England. You certainly can find places in Australia and other parts of the world where you are a long way away from people. And that still does it. You know, we're a hyper connected world, but you can still find places where there is no one around. And, you know, that's interesting you talk about that kind of urban violence as opposed to in the country. And that's, you know, a lot of um, our Australian crime and, and wow, look at me, my light just came on all by itself. That's the oh, timer. Beautiful. Yeah. 
Um, a lot of our crime in the last couple of years, we've had a lot of rural and and, and um, bush crime as well, and that's been a really recurring theme because it does go unspoken and unnoticed because they are remote, and that's something you've really touched on really well. And the dark undertones that you've got in the book in terms of this village, which is very remote and distant, but there are men around who aren't necessarily safe. And you can't, and, and who do you, try, I mean, all, all, all I think crime books get into this, but the central question I think in, in crime books is, is there in, for all of us is who do you trust and how do you learn to trust someone and what happens if someone you do trust abuses that trust? That's the heart of, of a lot of human relationships, the heart of a lot of crime, of course, as well. And I think it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely there in, in, the, in the book. So Little Sky, is it a, a place you've seen in your mind's eye? Is it somewhere you've been there or something you imagined? How did you, how did you create it? It doesn't exist. Uh, and uh, in some ways, that's good, I think, because uh, it could be anywhere. You know, it could be it could be in the bush. It could be in, you know, I've had people say to me, oh, it's definitely in Scotland. It's definitely in different counties of England. It doesn't uh, exist. I, I grew up in, in the middle of England in, in Leicestershire, which has uh, some cities, some countryside. And I remember vi- different things. I remember walking with my granddad um, I used to go on walks with him and, and, and his dog. And I remember sort of going off into the fields and he was this figure who I'm, I'm, you know, I, I was really admired him because he was sort of this practical man who could whistle a dog back after, you know, the dog goes off, you know, 500 yards and he could whistle the dog back. And I'm this sort of slightly soft, useless uh, urbanite now. Uh, and I always love the fact that even as a kid, I could see that he was far more capable and competent than I was. And so um, there's a little bit of the walks I suppose I had there, but there is no one place. And actually the joy of creating it and why the map, I love the map afterwards, was that I could think I wanted there to be a lake for him to swim in. I wanted there to be a, a, a wood that was his. I wanted these sort of rolling fields going down to a river. Then there is this, this, this village um, uh, where, where Livia lives and other people live. And there's this only one shop, which is both a shop and a pub and a place you can sort of have lock-ins, but also buy bread. And, and, and so to a certain extent in my mind's eye, I can see it all. And because this is a series, I mean, I, I I'm, the story of publication is I wrote this for my wife, as I said, not for publication. And then I um, I sent it on to, to an agent because I was writing nonfiction books and she didn't want to read it because she thought it might be rubbish. And she said, I don't want to have to look you in the eye and tell you how rubbish it is. But she did read it. Thank goodness then, she read it. <laughs> I know. Thank God. I know. I know. Our friendship was just about was just about being sustained at that point. And then um, they bought two books and then they bought two more. So there's definitely four books of these uh, little sky books. And I've already written books two and three book two is done and book three is done in in first draft so there are definitely four coming and so little sky the whole area becomes in my mind this central plan and i what i want what i want most in the world is people to read it and like it and think you know i want to spend more time in little sky because that's coming there are more books to come well of course this is called death under little sky so there are some bones that we come across aren't there and that's where the mystery sort of unravels yeah, and so so he um, there's a local tradition going back a thousand years, which does definitely happen in in English villages. These sort of things go on all the time. These sort of folk traditions, folk memories about discovering uh, where they pretend to discover the local bones of some some saint, and it go and what they normally do is they just put some wood in a bag. Someone hides it, and then one day a year they go and search for the bones, bring the bones back, and have a party. And it's sort of a folk tradition. Um, but on this occasion, uh, Jake uh, with Livia, this woman he's just met, go and look for the bones and they find them and they bring them back to, to, the, to the folk celebration. And it's like a bonfire at night. And then they open the bag and they expect to see bits of wood 
And instead of seeing bits of wood, they see actual bones because someone, for a reason that we find out later on, has dug up some old bones and put them in a bag for him to discover. And he discovers them and that sets him and her to a certain extent off to think, well, why are these bones now here? What are they? What do they point to? And that's the sort of heart of the mystery that he then goes off to, to spend the rest of the book trying to solve. And it's an interesting, um, in terms of a, of, a, of a police and a detective book, it's not procedural because the way he has to discover it is almost journalistic. Like that side of you came into this, I think, because he's having to read old papers. He's having to find the past when there's not really much information around. Yeah. It's not, I mean, because it's 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 kind of half a police book because he's a police, ex-police, but you're so right. It's not a urban police procedural, you know, that he doesn't really have access to much. He has an access to no technology. There is a local paper, which I know exists in Australia, you know, local papers in this country, they're slightly dying out very sadly, but they tend to be quite eccentric things with, uh, and there's a journalist he meets who is definitely a very realist, in my mind, quite a realistic yeah. journalist of people I've met over the over the years who helps him a bit but yeah that's exactly right that he can't just simply do lots of forensics and rely on a vast force because he's in the middle of nowhere and it's him trying to meet people talk to them and communities give up their secrets very slowly if at all this is one of the things i think about small um particularly rural communities and so a lot of the book is about how do you try and get a community to give up secrets about things it's not very proud of because every small community has things they're proud of and traditions like this bone hunt that they do, but they often conceal secrets and angst and arguments and tensions because people have lived closely together for a long time and they may not be happy, they may be harboring resentments. And how do you get a community to unlock itself is kind of one of the problems Jake has to, to, to face. And you're right, you're so right, you can't do that by you know, searching every house and being very policey because uh, you're not a policeman anymore and there's no real policeman around. There's not many policemen around. Around. Such an interesting um, way to, to meet Jake. He's a wonderful character, but he's so capable. You know, when he was a policeman, he was so capable. He's chosen to take a risk on this life that his uncle left him. And then he put, you, put, you put him in a situation where there's all these things that he traditionally hasn't tried before like wild swimming like building things and you you really take us on a great journey of kind of self-discovery for him yeah and he I mean there's a part fantasy of this I think all of us will have a sort of fantasy of like how how would we cope how good are we and some people are as I say fiercely competent I know a lot of people in Australia are, are very practical you have to be practical uh in in a country which is tough um and so, yeah, he has to work out how do you how do you sort of feed yourself? He doesn't have to wear many clothes. He lives in this water, but how does he wash his clothes in in, in the lake? He builds a sauna uh, because he because he can, uh, and it's the sort of thing he wants to try and do. He builds his own shower, um, but yeah, he's got to learn uh, self reliance. I think is a really interesting concept. It's a really challenged concept actually in the modern world. That how much do you rely on yourself? And it, you know, it's really there's a strong philosophical tradition in in America, particularly you know the idea of and Australia, I think, the, the idea of that you can't trust other people to sort yourself out. You've got to sort, you've got to do it yourself. And he goes from this, as you say, he's capable in the city. He's not so capable in the countryside. And I would fail miserably at this, I think. But I've given Jake just enough ability to learn. And so as he gets, as he gets by, he goes from being slightly puffy and pale to being a bit more sinewy and tough over the course of the, uh, over the course of the, over the book. I kind of love that, that when you, as as we sort of get to know him throughout it, he gets fit and he gets 
yeah, sinew is a good word, but even the little things you gave us around the way he ate and what do we need in terms of food and all the things that we, all the things he didn't have. And it does make you, it was really lo quite lovely in a book like this that's a crime book, a detective novel, to actually think outside of those parameters and you, you're considering all the other things you gave us in that character. Yeah, and also I, I think things I love about books are, are also tactile moments, little bits where, you know, food is really good for this. You know, the taste of, there's a bit where, he and uh, Livia go fishing and they they have a bottle of cider and they 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 put it in a spring so it gets very very cold and then they drink this very cold cider with bread and butter or they they cook a steak on a rock in a fire and it and it, and it fries very quickly and uh, i actually think food in books and sort of sensual moments in books you, you can't they can't all be that but they stick in my mind and i think books that i love and i reread books all the time and there's definitely series i reread um, it's those little tiny moments where you think where you can just have a, a little oh I know what that tastes like or would feel like and you're yeah, it, it's just something that I find that really exciting in books actually and I, I kept thinking it makes you wonder what you would do without yourself or what could you do without it's like you know that whole if you're going on an island what would you take with you but reading what he had and didn't have and how he was still managing to function made you realize what perhaps you could you could go without yeah and maybe we'd be happy I mean it, you gotta be careful on this and I'm you know a bit of an old luddite Mona, where you think, oh, the modern world is rubbish, which, you know, uh, there's an argument the modern world is rubbish. I'm, I'm I'm very happy to make that argument. So I've got to be a bit careful, but you're so right. I mean, what could you take out? You know, how much do you really need? And the thing I could never live without, I really feel I could live without a lot of technology, but I couldn't live without books. So I have given him loads of books to read still, which is probably, again, my my thinking that I could I could live without, I'd love to live without my phone, I think. Uh, yeah. But I couldn't live without books, so I've given him no phone and some books. Probably that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably me putting myself too much in the story there. Can we talk around some of those peripheral characters? I mean, we didn't get to meet his uncle; he'd passed when the book started. But I felt like we got to know him very well, um, elusive and eccentric as he may have been. And there were some other kind of eccentric characters in the book as well. Yeah, and, and I think you do get that in, in communities. I mean, I, there's a there's a there's a guy who uh, is a sort of local. He's sort, of, he, he's sort of the local intellectual, probably. He's a he's a botanist. He's someone who's interested in plants, and he spends his whole time sort of bopping around the fields and picking, plucking things from hedges. And he loves hedges, and he's a sort of an expert in hedges. And he's sort of a very kind figure. Uh, there are these sort of slightly more malevolent, creepy figures, and I, I've seen this in my grandparents grew up in a village, and I, I I see this sometimes. You get these these men who never leave home. That's definitely a thing that happens, I think. I've known people in my own family a bit like this and then people who they knew where they never, their mum looks after them when they're 40 still and they um, they never really develop proper adult relationships. They work quite hard some of the time, but then they go home and their mum cooks them their tea and it sort of stunts them emotionally. And there are people in it who are, I think, big, tough, burly guys but stunted because they've never actually had to live self-reliantly and they've never had to think about people other than themselves. That to me is a really interesting thing that happens when you, when, you know, part of growing up is to learn to to live with other people and it's to, and it happens when you get married. Or, um, and if you don't have that, if you don't have that moment where you're thinking of other people ahead of yourself and you stay close to home and never leave, there's a sort of stunting that can happen, I think, often to, to, to men. And so there's a, there's a few of them in the book. And they really are, 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 are the, the malevolent presence that you talk about, that there's a bit of a threat to some people, people who are angry, they're bitter, 
there's a kind of sense of failure in them which they can kind of half recognize but would probably never articulate yeah, absolutely. I, I know my mother-in-law always says that, you know, you go to primary school to learn who's who in the zoo. So you're really yeah. just trying to find out who's there. And if you never go anywhere, then that's what happens. And I think what the other thing you really touched on nicely is that when the community does let you in, there were some really kind souls in there. You know, there were some good people, but you had to get past the past the layers. Yeah. And one of the things I think will happen in the, in the later books is that that community expands slightly. And, and the great thing about doing a series, and, and I love detective series you mentioned Michael Connolly and you know the Bosch novels but you can name thousands of them I mean I've got I've got thousands of books here series books to me are the greatest fictional pleasure because you establish a character the main one but also you establish the furniture around them the the, the community around them the place the they music live. And if you can the music exactly and if you if you can find someone you have some sort of connection with you can then expand that world a bit so what will happen in the later books is that some of those people in the community who are nice uh, will come back and a sort of team develops you know there's 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 jake and whoever else he meets and if you can get that right you can have recurring characters that people go oh you know i, I really liked the woman who ran the shop and oh she'll come back and 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 or, or whatever and and that i think when you're building something in your mind at least and you know the main you know if harper collins said to me we're not publishing this anymore i'm still going to write it I think I, I, I've enjoyed writing it so such a, so much, and like I said, I have this audience of one anyway, my wife, and so uh, as long as she's willing to read it, I would probably write this stuff anyway because the chance to sort of build a world is a is a is a great thing. Absolutely, and you mentioned earlier your friend not wanting to read it in case she didn't like it. What has the reaction been like from those that know you so well from other parts of your career and life? Do you know what? It's been I've had some lovely emails from people who are tell me i know someone i don't know very well and the best thing that you know people someone sent me an email the other day saying oh they cried at, at the end and uh, yeah, I, I think did. a lot of people have, cry did you <laughs> yeah I, oh, bless you, but, I actually you know, wrote I, that down i wrote down um it's been a while since i've cried at the end of a crime book so yeah there is a there's a lovely moment so yeah thank you <laughs> oh i'm so i love writing that moment that moment's been in my mind for some time and I absolutely loved writing it. And and I, I think that the thing I've liked about it is that I think um, I've had less sort of response from men and women, you know, because sometimes crime books can be, oh, this is a very male book or this is a very female book. And actually what I wanted was to write a book that was that women would like the main character because sometimes male detectives can be a, a bit awful. And sometimes um, so I wanted so the thing I've loved is actually people have, I think, connected with it. And I had some lovely messages of people just saying, oh, I really wanted this to go on and. I want to read the next one. That's the reaction I most want to have is I want people to say, do you know what? You've created something there and I, I'd quite like to read the next one. I'm really excited that there's going to be some more Little Sky because I didn't realise that. And it'll be lovely to see more of Jake and, and Livia. So maybe down the track, because I know you're a crazy rugby league fan, maybe we can have a visiting rugby league, you know, team to the country or something. Oh, that'd be amazing. Listen, I love look, I love the NRL. I was so nice to speak to someone who, who, who likes Brisbane. You know, I like the Rabbitohs. So um, uh, I still don't mind Brisbane. Though. No, uh, let's have a rugby player. We can have a retired rugby league player who, who, who can come in. I think Jake might feel a bit threatened by him, but we'll find we'll we'll find we'll find a way of making him nice and see if he can, if he can join the game. Oh, well, Steve, congratulations, Death Under a Little Sky. It's such a I, I think people it's so unexpected because there is so much and there are so many layers to this book. So congratulations, and look forward to seeing what the next one brings. Great, thanks. Thank you so much to speak. I, I, it's really good to speak to someone in Australia about it. I hope people there like it. Thanks so much for your company today on QBD Book Club, the podcast. We'll chat again soon.